Hey, it's been a minute, but we're back. This is Have You Heard About, a pop culture deep dive. Today, we're tackling the singular Taylor Swift, who seems to be dominating everything in pop culture right now, from the music industry to the movies, and perhaps most surprisingly, the NFL. We're joined by my friend, marketer, and fellow culture vulture, Patty Connor, as we tackle the big business of Taylor. We debate how she's claimed her current spot in the pop culture zeitgeist, the wildly unprecedented success of the Eras Tour, her loyal fandom that has cemented her legacy, and so much more. Stay tuned as we get into it. Hi, Patty. Hi, Melissa. <laughs> we're live. Can you tell me why why we're here today? I feel like you brought me out of retirement because you sent me a WhatsApp message. Maybe I want to say like two months ago, six or seven weeks ago. I want to say I messaged you because I said I'm swept up in the frenzy. Do you have a connection to help me get some Taylor Swift tickets for me and my kids. I think that was what the message was. Oh, yeah. And I said, and why do I care? I think that was like the follow-up message. And why do I care? Why do we care, Patty? And that's kind of why we're here today. First of all, I'm really flattered that you think that I would be able to get you Eras tickets. <laughs> you know, I, I had to shoot my shot. You must think very highly of me. I could not. I cannot do that. I couldn't even get myself Eras tickets. I think when you messaged me, I myself was being caught up in the Taylor Swift frenzy, which I did not have on my 2022 or 2023 bingo card. I did not foresee myself becoming, I wouldn't say I've become a Swifty, but I know a lot about Taylor Swift now, much more than I did, let's say two or three or four years ago, kind of like pre-pandemic. Would you say that at this point you're a Swifty? I don't think I'm a Swifty, but I am quite, as a marketing person, I'm quite fascinated by the lore. And yes. I've like gone down the Google rabbit hole of like just weird things. So, so maybe that's what it is because we both have backgrounds in marketing and I think we both like storytelling. I mean, I'm kind mm -hmm. of speaking for both of us. We both like analyzing things. Why is this in our pop culture zeitgeist right now? Why are we all thinking and talking about the same thing? And so I'll say, I'll kind of tell you a little bit about my journey to like what brought me here with sort of my obsession currently with Taylor Swift is she was not somebody I thought about or cared about kind of pre-COVID. I didn't know much about her besides what everybody knew. Like she would write these songs about like the guys that she would date and they were really popular. And she had obviously that infamous feud with Kim and Kanye. Um, she had a bit of a sassiness to her to use the word that my kids like to say, you know what I mean? With like her squaws and her beefs and her feuds and this and that. And then during COVID, um, we were all locked up in our houses and she dropped folklore. And have you listened to the Folklore album or Evermore that she released during COVID? I listened to it during COVID. And actually, as homework for this pod, I watched mm. the live, whatever, the Pawn Sessions live oh, on yeah. Disney. Um, I had to like forward through some of it because it's like pretty much like the whole album is like 90 minutes. But I enjoyed listening to like her little captions leading up to the stories or leading up to the songs. So yes. I appreciate the homework, Patty. I did the same thing. So I rewatched the Long Pond Sessions and I rewatched Miss Americana on Netflix, which even if you're not a fan of Taylor Swift, I would say to the listeners, it, like if you want to catch up on the friends, if you want to see what it's all about, 
those are two really good places to start. But folklore for me was a really moody and broody and kind of autumnal album that was really conducive with the time of staying indoors. I wasn't leaving my house. I was probably a little depressed kind of, you know, for such a social person to have to stay indoors. And it sort of fit my vibe. And she's such an amazing lyricist, especially on that album. I think that really came out. And then with her follow-up Evermore, I was like, okay, you know, this chick is onto something. Like I, maybe there's something here that I've been missing all these years. And that's sort of when I became a fan, but I still wasn't like a massive fan. Even when Midnight's hit last autumn, I think it was October, Midnight's came out. Mm -hmm. Um, I downloaded it like everyone else. Uh, and I liked it. It's a really good album. I still listen to it a lot on this day, especially right now. It's perfect for fall walks. But I wasn't obsessed with her. When she when she announced the Eras tour, the US leg of the tour, I didn't even get, try to get tickets. It wasn't even on my radar. Was it on yours? Were you like, oh, no, I need to eventually see this? Or no, I don't give nope. a shit? Not, not at all. Like I'm not a big stadium concert person. Like That's not my thing. If I'm going to go spend $500 on a ticket. I don't know if like this would be like on my top five, top 10, not even my top 10. No, um, no. So yeah, then so, what happened? Cause we were both desperately trying to get tickets. What do you think led to that for us? Honestly, it was the number of clips from the concert showing up on my, like for you, like the algorithm I got, I got hooped into some algorithm and then it was like total FOMO. I was like, these people are having the time of their lives and I need this in my life and I don't know why I need this. And then my kids kind of like were really into it. Like I had my eight-year-old who was like Googling, I don't know, all this random stuff about Taylor Swift and we would be driving home from school. And she's like, mom, did you know that X, Y, Z, some random factoid about Taylor Swift? And I was like, no, I like, I didn't know that at any rate. Yeah. It showed up on my for you page and just the frenzy and the level of connection I guess people were having at these like massive stadium events just made me want to go. Okay. That's exactly it for me. You're talking about TikTok, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 100%. So yes, I love TikTok. Um, I don't, I don't ever post on TikTok, but I find I've said it before on the podcast. I feel like the funniest people on earth have, are TikTok creators. Uh, and it was really my FYP. The more of, of the videos that I would watch, the more it would obviously show me uh, so much so that one of her songs, Lover, um, on her Lover album, I think it was Cruel Summer. So it came mm -hmm. out four years ago. She plays that during the Eras tour. And because it's showing up in people's FYP so much, I guess they're like, oh, we're like rediscovering this song that she never got to tour with because it was the pandemic. So all mm -hmm. these people started downloading it. So four years after she released the song, the song went to number one, along with whatever some of her other Midnight's tracks that were number one at the time. It might have been Karma or something like that. So that's the power of TikTok. And I really feel like TikTok fueled a lot of the drive to, for the Eras tour. But I also wonder given how smart she is, did she foresee this? And like, was some of her songwriting, like karma is a cat, you know what I mean? Like some of those lyricisms that are a little bit like catchy and a little bit cheeky. I almost wonder if she did that on purpose just because she knew it would go viral on TikTok or at least hoped that it would, you know, and then people would use them in stitches and whatever, which is kind of what happened. I wonder if that's something that she being so smart foresaw or if that's just something that happened organically. I think for the midnight stuff, like Karma, um, yes, for the TikTok, but Cruel Summer came out 
Like she wrote that way before. Oh she yeah. 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 But yes, I do think that she is very savvy. And I think you talk about, you talked about this somewhere, maybe like on your Instagram about how she's like a very clever lyricist. And like, as a person that has like a back, a background in English lit, I like, you know, I wasn't a fan before, but then I started, you know, reading her lyrics and I was like, one, she's prolific. Like the amount of content she puts out is absolutely prolific and say what you want, like for the Taylor haters or whatever. She is like one hard working woman. Like, yes. Yes. You know? Um, yeah. Always working, always putting something out and there's no like resting on her laurels. And I mean, I think we're probably going to get into why we think like what fuels her. Um, but yeah, she's very hardworking and she's a very, very good lyricist and she's a very savvy marketer. Totally. I want to get back to the Eras tour later, but just I want to kind of segue off of the hardworking comment. She was asked, obviously, I've watched a lot of TikTok clips of Taylor Swift, and I've missed a lot of her original interviews because I wasn't a fan back then, right? So um, in one of the interviews, somebody had asked her, um, you know, people look at you as though you're edgy and sexy and cool. And she was like, no, that's not who I am at all. And the the person interviewing her said, well, how would you describe yourself? Use three words to describe yourself. And she said that she's imaginative, smart, and hardworking, which is not how you would stereotypically describe a pop star. So I thought that was really interesting. And I do think that really strongly encompasses who she is. I don't think we're ever looking at Taylor Swift as though she's like the cool girl or as though she's super edgy like a Lady Gaga. But there's no doubt, no one's going to argue that she's a super hard worker, that she's imaginative. Um, and I think, you know, part of her success during COVID, everybody was laying low. Most people, I mean, I, I'm not talking about civilians like the rest of us, but pop stars, actresses, actors, they have a lot of money. They could take take time off work. They can go, whatever, hide out in their Malibu Hills home or wherever they are. And she worked harder than ever. So when everybody else was kind of sleeping on it, she put out Folklore. She put out Evermore. And then she did her re-releases at the time. I think she had released um, Fearless during that time as well as Red. And that was another way as well that I think us elder millennials discovered her, or at least for me, is that I had never listened to those albums. I kind of knew like, oh, all too well. I've sort of heard that it's about Jake Gyllenhaal. Don't know too much about it. But then when she does this re-release of her album Red, and then she also does a 10-minute movie about that song and Sadie Sink is in it and you just can't escape it and there's all these think pieces, you're going to start to pay attention. So I think that was another way that she deepened at least her bond with our generation and I guess the younger generation too, who's just coming up on her now, like my daughter who's 10 has a record player and she owns a couple of Taylor's vinyls, you know, from from her like re-releases and stuff. So I think like for me, that is... Like when everybody else was kind of doing nothing, she was doing as much as she's ever done plus more. But this is also a woman that's like worked at this since she was 14. So is she even built to sit back and not do anything? Right. Because I think, doesn't she say at some point that during lockdown, she was supposed to be on a world tour and then it got canceled because of lockdown? Yeah. For love. Well, now what do I do? You know, I like plan to be on tour for the next whatever, six, 10. Like, this is how not a Swifty I am. I don't even know how long a world tour takes, but like, I'm supposed to be doing this and now I'm not. Now I'm stuck in my home. So for her, it probably was still sitting back. (laughs) 
I, if I have to do something two days in a row, I'm honestly exhausted. And even fun stuff, like my husband sent me, my husband Joe was like, oh, do you want to go to Cirque du Soleil, whatever? And I was like, please, God, don't make me go to that. Like, there's too many <laughs> things already. Like, I already have like three plans booked in November so far. I, you want me to add a fourth? Like, it is for me, and I think for a lot of people, it just becomes too much and you just need a breather. She, you're right. She doesn't seem to be built that way. Her era's tour is going to go on like for a few years. And yes, she hasn't toured, I think, since 2017 because she wasn't able, able to tour for Lover. So it was Reputation was her last album tour. And I'd read somewhere that she had made like the the whole tour for Reputation maybe grossed 200 million. And now with era's that's projected to be the biggest tour of all time. And it's projected to bring in over a billion dollars, Patty. Oh, it's like it's wild. So, but she's not motivated by the money, Patty. It's not the money. I don't think so. I honestly no. don't think so because I mean, maybe this is my naivete, but like how much money does one need? She has two private jets. She, she has two? Much, I think I, that's what I wrote. She has two. Oh, wow. Jets. Those are not I mean, cheap, I, Patty. I could be well. She's <laughs> earning a billion. Well, not her personally, but her concert. She will be a billionaire after the era's tour. Isn't that what I? Isn't that what I heard? For sure. I think. It? I mean, probably even during. Right. Like I, when one googles her net worth, it's like sitting at seven hundred million bucks. So I mean, she's very, very close. And I think for me, my theory on on these people, like Taylor Swift, same thing as Kim Kardashian is when you have a ton of money that you're more drawn by like your legacy and the lore that you're creating and also boiling it down to just winning. She wants to be winning and she is, right? Like for me, I think what drives her, she's always admitted to being kind of an insecure person, right? I don't think that that's an unfair comment or you know, that's something that she's always told us herself. She's told us through her songwriting. She's told us in interviews. And so I think to be on top of the world, that's probably what's driving her. There was, you know, that mastermind lyric that she has where it's like, no one wanted to play with me as a little kid. And I've been scheming yep. like a criminal ever since. Like she tells us, right? Like this is facts. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I agree. And I think the really interesting thing about that is I think it's in the Miss Americana, Americana, um, like whatever the special on Netflix. And she talks exactly about that like I was the kid that wasn't invited to do things and like this like I am fueled by people like loving me and interacting yeah. with my fans and I think we were texting about this is like when you watch her on stage she is thriving like in the line like she looks like she's genuine and I know like some of it must be a bit of an act but she genuinely looks like she's thriving like 60,000 people in a in a stadium like there for her and i don't know which song it is where it's like oh we were we went through the great war together like i yeah. think that's like a little bit of the swifty community is like you know people went through a lot to get those tickets people made the bracelets they spent the time and put together their era's outfit and there's like this sisterhood and camaraderie of like like how much effort did you take to be here to like share in this energy and this experience. Um, and she's cultivated that. And I think that's, I don't know. I think that's one, she loves that. And two, I think that's why her fandom is so loyal and so invested. 
Yeah, I I would just drawing on that, I'd love to talk about the community that she's built for a second, because I feel like I'm someone who thinks about community a lot, like maybe an abnormal amount. I think thinking about community and also thinking about Taylor Swift are my Roman empires. You know what I mean? <laughs> maybe. I, I feel like I might be I might be joining you in that camp because I never think about the Roman Empire, but I do sometimes think about Taylor Swift now. Can I just segue for a second on the Roman Empire? So for anyone that's like, what are these two talking about? First of all, get on TikTok and then you'll know. But second of all, there was this, I don't know, tweet or something that went around that was like, people, ladies, you don't understand how much the men in your lives think about the Roman Empire. And then I asked Joe, my husband, I was like, do you ever think about the Roman Empire? And I swear to God, Patty, without missing a beat, he was like, yes. He was like, I even belong to a, he he follows a Twitter account called daily roman updates yes and I, I, said, I asked my husband as well what did he say uh he said weekly thinks about it and i was like and i and i think i had like a like a gobsmacked a gobsmacked expression on my face and i was like in what context <laughs> don't understand and i no. he had some weird like answer and i was like okay and i think i messaged you after and you're like i was like oh my god you're right <laughs> it's true I mean, for right now, Taylor Swift is my Roman Empire. Prior to Taylor Swift, it was probably just Clueless. You know, the movie? A little Cher. A little Cher. Cher Horowitz. A little Cher Horowitz. I don't know if we have our own equivalent of the Roman Empire, but like those would be the two closest things for me. So I spent a lot of time thinking about community just because. So I live in Vancouver. I'm a Vancouver transplant because I moved here from the suburbs, Coquitlam. You grew up in Vancouver, right? Am I remembering that correctly? I grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in Burnaby. Oh, oh, and in Burnaby. I'm a okay. Cambridge transplant. Yeah. So, do you ever feel like being out here and then like setting up here into adulthood? Sometimes I feel like I have to make just a bit more of an effort than I would have had to had I stayed in the burbs with all my childhood friends and everything, just because, you know, our neighborhoods here, they can be a little sparse with families. Like mm-hmm. in my neighborhood, particularly, there's a lot of elderly people, there's a lot of seniors' homes. Um, and so I'm constantly trying to be like, where can I find community? Is it through my kids' school? Is it through their sports? Is it through whatever my online pop culture forums? Is it through my Facebook gossip groups? That's kind of tend to, that tends to be where I gravitate towards. I'm sure you probably have similar sort of things, given that you also have kids around the same age and you're a transplant from Burnaby. Yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty accurate. I am a transplant, transplant from Burnaby. Most of like a lot of my childhood friends either stayed in the suburbs or like were like a diaspora, right? Like everywhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you try and find common ground to socialize and build a community with people that don't have the same shared experiences growing up. Yeah. Is that exactly is that what you're describing? Yeah. So exactly. I agree with that. Yeah. So I think, you know, what Taylor Swift has done is something so clever. We're seeing more and more of that now. But her fandom and she's been doing this since the beginning like she will write personalized letters to her fans she will send them gifts um she will like i don't know tweet directly at them as a surprise she'll show up to their events as a surprise obviously not all of her fans but she'll like pick and choose she'll have those um listening parties at her house where she invites a handful of fans and they get to listen to her album and be the first people to listen to it. She does all of these Easter eggs with her fans, where if you're really paying attention, she buries clues into things, which sometimes I think the Easter eggs are a bit, for me as like a newer person in this, and I'm not like quite a Swifty, but I just appreciate her as 
kind of an observer of what she's done. Sometimes I feel like the Easter eggs can be a little distracting, but I can appreciate also that she's building her own. Is it called like a tailor verse? I don't know what yeah, the kids so. are calling it. Sure. You know, like a tailor, like the multiverse. I don't know what it is, but she's building her own tailor coded universe. So I can appreciate all that. And then there's all of these um, like Reddit threads about her and little sub communities about her and you know, people talking about on TikTok what they're going to wear to her concert, the friendship bracelets, the sisterhood. As you said, when her era's um, tour movie came out, I was like, well, this is probably going to be the only way I'm going to be able to take my kids to go and see this. Uh, so I immediately bought tickets and I invited all of their friends. And then I've already had a friendship bracelet making thing at my house for them, which no one was actually interested in making the friendship bracelets, sadly. But um, you know what I mean? Like she's building like it's not just about listen to my album, like traditional album releases back in the day when we were growing up would have been an artist releases a single and then that's followed by an album and then they do some rounds on the talk show circuit and then they might do a tour with very little fan engagement, maybe some like behind the scenes uh, meet and greets or VIP packages, but not a whole lot else. She really has got this fandom nailed down to a T. And I had on my Instagram, some people who had messaged me who were really big fans of hers who had said, even though she's singing to a room full of whatever, 60, 70,000 people, it feels like she's connecting with you. Yeah, I would say she is very good at engaging her fandom if that's the right word for it, um, and rewarding engagement, right? Like, so if you follow along to all of my pages and you engage, like maybe you'll be invited to a secret listening party. Maybe I'll tweet at you. Um, and she certainly, and like, I think she even says that in one of the things where she's like, oh, the people that I picked to go to my like secret listening party or my advanced listening party, like I trolled their social media accounts to see like how often they've seen me live or like how much they engage on my pages. And I wanted to make sure that I like handpicked the ones that were like true fans. Yeah. So when you kind of build up that frenzy, doesn't it make you want to get more involved? Cause like maybe you'll be rewarded for your engagement and your involvement and your tailored participa- participation. Totally, totally. But I, I also wonder too, because she's somebody who's so ruled by her public image, wanting to be perceived as like a good, in quotations, girl, um, wanting to really be loved. She's so vocal about that too. This is not like something that's like secretive or something that I'm just hypothesizing over. This is what she's told us. Is I wonder too, sometimes is is her fandom, like the way that they connect, it almost feels like they rule what she does in life. Obviously her dating Maddie Healy was problematic. He's a shitty person. He had said some things about Ice Spice right in the past. And then these two are like dating. And there was a lot of public pressure for her. Like, what are you doing with this guy? What is she doing? And, you know, he's the one who kind of said those things, but it's reflecting back on her because she's the much bigger superstar and we can talk about fairness and that all we want, but regardless, that's how it's going to be perceived when you're someone as large as life as Taylor Swift. And not surprisingly, shortly thereafter, they broke up. But I do wonder, like, I feel like she's lives her life sort of in service of this fandom and in service of her public image. And maybe that is just the price you pay for being as big as she is. Well, it's interesting. Yes, that like, yes to all of that. And it's interesting that one of the things she says about folklore is it's the first album 
that she's written without a lot of autobiographical elements, right? Yeah. So she talks about Fearless and Red and all of those things are about her experience as a teenager, her experience with heartbreak, like whatever. And then folklore is like, she was like songwriting to storytell, not necessarily details about her own life. So there's like, you know, the trilogy of the three stories written from the point of view of like three teenagers reflecting back. Yeah, Betty, Inez, and uh, James, yeah. right? That's Blake yeah. Lively. And and also just some, sorry, sidebar, that friendship to me is kind of weird. I'm just going to say the whole Blake Lively, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, Taylor Swift friendship. I think it's weird. I don't know. I think it's weird. So it's funny. Someone was asking me, why do you think famous people are only friends with other famous people? And I said, I don't know. Like, that's like a really good point. Is it like cool kids want to hang out with other cool kids? Or is it that like, once you hit a certain level of like, you unlock a certain level of like celebrity status, you can't associate with people that don't have that celebrity status because they don't understand what it's like to be like in your life. I don't know. And I was like, or is it that they still have regular friendships, but we just don't hear about it because nobody wants to see a picture of Taylor Swift walking around with like, I don't know, like Mary or childhood friend. I don't know the answers to this, but I was like, yeah, it is interesting why celebs hang out with other celebs. I mean, she, she feeds into it too though, right? She totally does. So like, I know that she has this childhood friend, Abigail, because she wrote that song about her 15 Right. And mm-hmm. so she's like famously like her redheaded friend. But the whole thing with Blake, Ryan and Taylor, why I find this weird is that when Taylor and Joe Alwyn broke up, people knew that they broke up in part because like Ryan and Blake unfollowed him, I guess, on Instagram. And I'm kind of like, I get that. But also like we're not we're not in teen. We're not teenagers right? Like we're not 15. I don't know. That seems, and everyone is going to follow Ryan and Blake's like every move. So of course people are going to talk about the fact that you've unfollowed Joe Alwyn. And now there's going to be all this dialogue about what did Joe Alwyn do and all these like rumors and things. Maybe like take a beat. You know what I mean? Wait, maybe wait a couple months and unfollow him or like who cares? Maybe just keep following him just so people stop talking about it. To me, the interesting thing is that she has this kind of, I don't, I don't know if the word power is right, but she has some sort of an influence where these really powerful people who are A++ list celebrities, Ryan Reynolds, maybe Blake Lively is not A++ list, but she's associated <laughs> with a lot of those people is that, you know, she can, without probably saying anything, she has enough influence where they're like, well, no, we, now we have to like sever ties with this person. To me, that is interesting and a little incon. I don't know if this is the right word, like incongru- incongruous. Is that how incongruence? Yeah. yeah. With almost like her public BFF attainable, you know, girl next door persona that these celebrities just kind of like follow her around and sort of do what she wants, even if she's not asking them to do it. I don't know. It. I mean, it seems a little bit petty and eye and maybe it's because like I'm like I'm older now, and so I like eye roll. But at the same time, I kind of feels the salacious this need for salacious gossip, right? So I was like, oh, interesting. And then all this stuff recently about oh, she's letting Sophie Turner stay in her apartment um, yeah. while she's like working out her divorce with Joe Jonas or whatever. And oh, Taylor Swift and Joe Jonas, you know, he's infamously broke up with her. I don't know, via text or a phone call or I don't know, whatever 
Yeah, it was like a 10-second voicemail, she had said, right? Yeah, sure. Like, he did something that was, like, not cool. And so now she's, like, on Team Sophie. Um, I mean, all of those are choices. And you can't tell me that if she didn't want that leaked to the media, they couldn't have kept it locked down that, like, Sophie Turner was just, like, staying in an apartment building that happened to be in the same, like, the same, like, apartment building that she owns an investment property in. Like, I feel like celebrities have more control over the narrative that goes out. Yeah. Like, like she said with the whole Kim and Connie thing where she's like, I would very much like to be excluded from this narrative, which is maybe around the same time we started using that term narrative in like our Mm -hmm. public conscious is everything that she does, I think is really calculated, really well thought out. I think she also is so, so super smart, but I think she also has like a really excellent team that's guiding her behind her. You know, like all of all of the fandom stuff, though, and this building of community and the building of her world, I think that she is the one to sort of like spearhead all of that. And now we see a lot of other artists kind of do similar things. I think what you're saying about Taylor's squad, because part of her lore is kind of just surrounding herself with the squad. We saw less of that over COVID because no one was hanging out. It was a lot mm-hmm. of her and Jack Antonoff and like, Boniver, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And you know what I mean? A bit more of like this, um, like folky independent sort of circle. Now we're seeing her get back in with like Selena Gomez and Sophie Turner and Blake and Ryan, like every other day they're being photographed. Uh, and I think, I wonder too, if that falls back into this, you know, she was, she grew up, she was saying like, she didn't have very many friends. She had no one to hang out with people at school made fun of her. And now it's like, well, fuck you guys. Now I'm hanging out with uh, Deadpool and his wife, and you know what I mean, and the Queen of the North. Like, it. I don't know if it she's gets had, cooler. She's got a good. She's got a good friend circle. I mean, <laughs> and no, like all no of doubt. her parties that she used to throw, like at the Fourth like, of July. Island. Yeah, her yeah. big Fourth of July, where like all the stars rocked up and spent the weekend in her. I, I always said it was in the Hamptons, but Hampton Hamptons, but I guess it's in Rhode Island. Yeah, um, Rhode Island Holiday House. Yes. So like all of that is like, you know, she, she has surrounded herself with like all the A-listers. Totally. And it's also interesting because she's kind of positioned herself as being almost like the guiding older sister for a lot of them, you know, maybe not with Blake, but with Sophie Turner, with most recently Sabrina Carpenter, who was her opening act, I think in Mexico City. Um, and also with Selena Gomez. Right. Like she kind of seems to be this very protective older sister figure who is fiercely loyal and has her friends back. Uh, And then, of course, there's like the people on the outside, because just as much as she's famous for her squad, she's also famous for her feuds. And whatever the hell happened with Carly Kloss, we'll never know. Well, one day we'll know. And like the whole Olivia Rodrigo thing, which is like what my kid had to tell me about. She's like, oh, well, you know, Olivia Rodrigo and Taylor Swift are like no longer. And I was like, oh, like why? So I don't know. My kid's like, oh, something about a songwriting credit. And now Taylor Swift gets half of the money from like her big song. And and then the song, Olivia Rodrigo's song, Vampire, is all about Taylor Swift. And I was like, how, like, how does my eight-year-old who has no access to TikTok know these things? 
I, I, my kids know I'm recording a podcast today because I told them I might be late picking you up from school. We'll see. Uh, but they were like, oh, what are you doing it on? And I'm like, oh, I'll tell you later so I could surprise them with it because I think this is the first they've, I don't know if they've ever listened to one of my podcasts. One, because sometimes they're not subject appropriate for their age, but also they just wouldn't care. You know, they're like, mom, I don't care about like parasocial relationships. I don't even know. They don't have social media. They don't care about Jillian Harris. They just don't care. But this one, they're for sure going to care about. And and that's the thing with Taylor Swift is she sort of encompasses so many ages. And you had messaged me using the word, I think it was you, you had said she's really palatable. Was that you? Yeah. Because we were talking about this versus Beyonce. Like why? Yeah. We couldn't, we could get Beyonce tickets at base value, but not Taylor Swift ones. And I said, I think she's just like more palatable to like a cross generation. The masses. Yeah. Masses. Yeah. Let's yeah, talk about that because she, for obviously she's a white woman. She is conventionally very, very attractive, which what is interesting to me though, is that she's very pretty and very attractive, but I don't think she's looked at as being like sexy or like super sexualized, definitely not hypersexualized. Maybe some people think she's sexy when she does her like reputation um, dances, but she's never really looked at at that way. And I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. because, you know, her mom and dad, Andrea, and I think Scott Swift are like, why do I know their names, Patty? I don't know. That's, I I didn't know their names. I was impressed. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, she's, looked at as such a good girl, um, looked at as very generous, like these bonuses that she's given on her tour, 55 million in like the North American tour alone, which is another whole, like she could have kept most of that money. Obviously, I don't think it's the money that is is what's driving her, right? It's the, she wants to be generous, but also we're hearing about it in the press, right? So she's being strategic with where her generosity is. It's not like super altruistic. Um, and even her her scandals, you know, all celebrities have have scandals of like varying degrees. Hers are like, it's like Dawson's Creek. They're still, she's like 33 or 34, but all of her scandals are very much in the teen drama ballpark, which is frankly where I live. Like that is my wheelhouse and I'm here for it and I love it, but she's not, you're not seeing these secret videos of her hurling like racial slurs or stumbling out of nightclubs on like cocaine. That's not happened, which is kind of remarkable given the fact that she's been famous for half of her life. Well, it's funny you say that because I think I saw an interview where she was on, I can't remember which late night talk show but they're like, she's like, oh, I don't have the freedom to like have a really wild night. She's like, I get photographed if I have like three Moscow mules and I'm acting a little bit wild at a whatever, at a party. And it's like, okay, you're 33 and you've had three Moscow mules and you're dancing a bit wildly. And yeah, that's like, do. like scandalous and salacious. I was like, wow, you're doing really well then. <laughs> like, oh, really totally. Well. And there was another interview, like, and I'm, I feel bad because normally I know my sources like, oh, and there was this interview that I saw and it was with Barbara Walters or whatever. But because so much of what I consume for this is on TikTok, I'm just watching 10 second clips. But there was this one where someone had said to her, you know, you've maintained this really good girl image. You don't drink, you don't party. And she's like, what? She's like, I do drink and I do party. Like, um, you know, however old she was at the time, she might've been 25 at the time. And it's like, for some reason, we've held her to this level 
where it's like, oh no, she is like the perfect role model, which frankly, she kind of is. And that's why I was trying to desperately get these Eras tickets to the point that I was like, I'll just spend whatever amount of money and fly to Santa Clara to get these tickets to take my kids because I think it would have been the best first concert experience for them. Like, you know, we live in Vancouver. I'm not taking them to a concert where everyone around us is like lighting a joint, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know if they still do that in concerts. They did in my day. I don't know. I mean... I'm sure they do. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's like a teller. I, I, I don't know. I don't go to that many concerts anymore, but yes, I'm sure it would be a very wholesome concert. And it would be like, as you say, the sisterhood of like trading bead bracelets and admiring each other's era's outfits. Like I do love that experience. And like, I'm taking my kids to the movie as well. Cause it seemed like a really accessible way for them to sort of get the experience that wasn't going to cost me $10,000. Um, you know, so with the for the price of I don't know whatever it was twenty. I think it was like nineteen eighty nine was like the price, wasn't it? Or like her, it was like cleverly after her albums, like she thinks about everything. Like it was, I think it was literally nineteen dollars and eighty nine cents or something that I paid for. But I just want to really quickly read this quote from somebody on Instagram who'd sent it into me because. I'm like, okay, I'm an elder millennial. I'm into her. My kids who are like 10 and 8 are super into her. So I got this message and this, I got a few messages like this, but I'm just going to paraphrase this one. She says, I'm 51 with no kids and I've never paid much attention to her until all the Taylor's version stuff and folklore. I found myself digging to see what I was missing and now I love her. She's an incredible lyricist and creative and mother of God, her business skills are masterful. Having a woman stand up and say, just try and stop me from doing this my way is brilliant and so needed. So I think, you know, she's just so impressive on so many levels and it's, you know, she has the talent to to back it up, but she also has the business savvy to do whatever she's done here. She is like Britney Jean Spears in her best era, like in her most successful era. Yep. I don't know, man. They're like neck and neck. Like I refer to Britney because that was my, my upbringing. That was I grew up in. Yeah, like I grew up in the generation of like Britney Spears. So um, like her business savvy is incredible. And she had, she'd been asked at one point, what would you have done had you not become a pop star? And she said, oh, I really think I would have for sure gone to college and I probably would have majored in business and I would have done something that way. And she reminds me of, did you ever watch the Pamela Anderson documentary? I think it came out on Netflix over the summer. No, not yet. Okay. Worth so, watching? Oh my God. Okay. Highly recommend, especially because Pamela Anderson right now just seems to be everywhere. She's like the face of Aritzia. She just showed up to fashion week somewhere with like no makeup on and everyone was like going crazy over her. So in the documentary for the people who've watched it and for the people that haven't, if you're looking for something to watch, it is like one of the top things I watched this year because Upon watching it, you realize if this woman didn't become like Pamela Anderson, the like super sex symbol, she would have just could have been anything else. Like she could have been a scientist. She could have been a neurosurgeon. She could have been whatever. I don't know, a race car driver, whatever, because she just has like this uncanny ability to just make everything work out in her favor. You know, those people that it just seems like everything good happens to them. And it'll be like, 
yeah, I was at an audition for my friend. I have never auditioned for anything in my life. But then the agent saw me and they were like, oh, I'm casting this movie. And I went and I read for the part and I got cast in the latest Steven Spielberg. Like you occasionally hear those stories and you're yeah. like, who the hell does this happen to? It, that Pamela Anderson is someone who a lot of that kind of thing happened to. And okay. I, in doing a lot of the research for this podcast about Taylor Swift, Yes, Taylor Swift is a really hard worker, and that is no doubt what has made her so successful. I just feel like she could have been successful literally doing anything. I think that's just who she is at her core. Like, I think if she decided not to be a songwriter or a pop star, I think she could have been a really good entrepreneur or she could have been whatever, a doctor. I don't know. But she, to me, seems like somebody who would have done, who would have been the best in her field, almost regardless of what it was. And I will agree with you and also put up that they could do anything and they're both white women, very attractive, um, very palatable. So I feel like that adds a little something-something to also the je ne sais quoi. Agreed. Agreed. And I'll also add to that, that Pamela Anderson, I think, could have been anything just because of magic. Like that sounds so crazy to say, but I just feel like she has some sort of an essence. People that did not watch the documentary are probably like, what the hell is she talking about? You have to watch the Pamela Anderson documentary to really see what I mean here. But Taylor Swift could have done and been anything because yes, uh, she's a white, conventionally attractive woman, also because she's a hard worker. Like, I don't think anything would have come easy to her, if that makes sense. Whereas I think Pamela Anderson was just discovered. But with Taylor Swift, I do feel like she's somebody who has to like really work at it. And I think she knows that. Yeah. I I think, yes, I can, I can totally see that as well, because I think you had pointed it out in something where it's like, she's a little bit awkward. Right? Very. She's like a very tall woman and she, you know, in spite of like all the training and the dance training and all the stuff that she's probably had to help her enhance her career, she still slouches a bit when she dances and she still like has this sort of self-deprecating smirk when she's dancing because she knows that she, you know, has to work at it. Like she knows all the moves, but she doesn't come by it gracefully, if you will, or honestly. Yeah. She's always like, there are some TikToks that show her at her concert and then right afterwards behind the scene. And she kind of comes out in these like dad sweater, like they can only be described as dad sweaters. And she's a little hunched over and she's like awkwardly waving to fans. And that is just who she is. You can be the most successful pop star in the world and millions of people adore you. Everyone is fighting and clamoring to get tickets. But at the end of the day, like that doesn't necessarily give you like self-confidence or a security in yourself. I still think that that's something that she probably has to work on. Um, And I think that she has worked on that quite a lot because I think she has changed a lot sort of, especially Mm -hmm. in her, you know, just in the music industry, how um, she really fought to have ownership of her own music. And she really started looking at the business side, not just the creative side. So there was all this stuff kind of uh, Spotify had, I don't, I don't know if they still do, but when Spotify had a free membership, um, Taylor mm-hmm. Swift 
kind of bought them and said, I'm not going to release my music to stream on your platform because I'm not going to get paid royalties. And same thing when 1989 came out, she wouldn't release it on Apple Music because they wouldn't give her royalties for it because I think they had some type of a free trial. And so she fought for that and she fought for other artists to sort of have a similar thing. And she wrote this letter to like the CEO of Apple Music and within a day they changed it so that she would get paid and other artists would get paid. So she's opening doors for people. And as well, she's talking a lot, a lot about music ownership now. So the new young and artists that are coming out, like the Olivia Rodrigo's and the Sabrina Carpenter's of the world, you know, they have someone to learn from and like they have a playbook, you know, to go mm-hmm. off of. They're not starting necessarily from scratch. And I do wonder if some of the stuff that is very speculative between Taylor Swift and Olivia Rodrigo, um, I, I read this great like Laney post about how it's kind of like the master and the student. You know, how maybe it's less of a feud and more of a, well, I did all this as Taylor Swift and I got to this level because I had to fight and scrape and whatever. I'm scrappy and I got my way through it. And Olivia Rodrigo maybe has to do less of that because the groundwork has been laid, but also the stuff with, you know, Olivia Rodrigo taking some of her music and using it for her own Obviously, that is something that is really sensitive for someone like Taylor Swift. Like she has made much of her um, much of her business about kind of making Scooter Braun lose money by re-recording her masters and doing all this and and writing these long Instagram posts about sort of what he's done to her. So she's not going to take it lightly. She's going to get paid. Taylor Swift is not going to look at that lightly. And so I do think whatever if there is a feud, it's because she rightly wants to get paid, right? Like she is a creative and musical person, yet that doesn't mean that she can't be two things. She can't also be a mastermind when it comes to business and getting paid fairly. Is it good for you? Good for you or deja vu? One of those two. It's deja vu. It's definitely deja vu. vu. Yeah. It's like one of her big ones. And I'm kind of inclined to agree with that because it's funny because I was talking to someone that didn't know about the feud and truthfully, I don't know all the details around the feud. That was not one rabbit hole I went down. Um, but like loosely what I heard was, yeah, she wanted royalties because she wanted songwriting credits. And someone was like, well, she has so much more money than Olivia Rodrigo. Like, why didn't she just give it to her? Like kind of like how you would just like let a kid win at go fish or whatever yeah let it go and i was like no it's like that's a principle it's like it's funny because my husband and i have differing opinions on how to teach our kids how to play board games i don't let my kids win like if they win organically that's great good for you patty but like i like in real life people are not going to just like give you like the win because you're a kid so you should learn how to play the game properly and i like, I believe in you. You can learn that you're a smart kid. You can figure this out. And I kind of feel like maybe that's her approach too. Like, yeah, like this money is probably neither here nor there for her. But the point is like, she's showing, like she's demonstrating, like you should own your stuff and you should stick up for your rights and you should like, you should grind because that's what you need to do in this world. So, I mean, it could be the flip side. Right. So I, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, now I'm a Taylor Swift sympathist. <laughs> well, my official kind of opinion on that is that they're not so much feuding. I know a lot of people thought that Olivia Rodrigo's song Vampire was about Taylor Swift. And then Olivia Rodrigo came out with a quote saying, 
it's basically, it's not not about Taylor Swift. I'm not going to say who it's about because I don't want to name names. And then other people were like, oh, well, she's just using that for clout, whatever. People can't win in these scenarios. My feeling is there's some people that you meet and you work with and you really like them and you're drawn to them. And then other people, you don't mind them, but maybe they did something to like rub you the wrong way. You kind of work at it and you get past it. Not everyone is going to be Taylor Swift's best friend nor her enemy. There's going to be like a place that lies in between. Um Speaking of sort of her savvy with her kind of like taking control of her masters and her re-recordings and kind of rewriting how royalties worked with streaming, I think it's interesting because her PR team is always letting us know how smart and clever she is. Like the whole thing that came out on, and I'm sorry, I'm not an NFT expert and I'm not going to pretend to really understand what they are, but there was a whole bunch of celebrities, Tom Brady and Giselle Bunkin and a bunch of um, other people who uh, were promoting like FTX, some NFT company, I guess. And they tried to get Taylor Swift on board. Do you know about this? Crypto stuff? It's some crypto thing. So FTX was trying to give Taylor Swift a hundred million dollar sponsorship deal to um, essentially sell her concert tickets as NFTs. And they were like close, like she was taking meetings with them. All these other celebrities had signed on. And you know when other peers are doing things you that you look up to and they have really smart teams behind them, you're going to think, well, it must be fine. And she didn't. So allegedly she had said in the meeting, like, can you tell me that these are like all like regulated and whatever. And the people at FTX were like, no, we can't tell you that. So I guess she pulled out of the the meeting, but that's like a really specific thing to have had happen in a meeting that for us to hear about it, because when we heard about all these celebrities being sued because I don't know, it was a scam or whatever, we're hearing, oh, but Taylor Swift was smart enough to question it and she didn't take that deal and now she's not part of this big mess that's happening. And then FTX came out later and was like, no, that's not exactly the way that it played out. But no one remembers that, including me. I'm just going to remember that Taylor Swift was smart enough to question something and maybe it wasn't even her. Maybe it was someone on her team. But the story that was fed to us was that it was her. So I find it really interesting how masterfully calculating she is in terms of the image that she puts out where she is benevolent, like she's giving out all these bonuses. Mm -hmm. She's super smart. She knows which deals to take and which deals to turn down. She's not going to be, you know, taking a Pepsi deal like Kendall Jenner, where it's like I've solved racism with a, with a can of Pepsi. She's not doing that. What are, what are the what are the Swifties call her? They call her mother, right? They mother. Call they call a mother? lot of people mother, though. They call a lot of people mother. Okay, sh- sure. But yeah. Like, like there's a woman that leaves Easter eggs that like everything means something. Numerology. She's releasing. I don't know. Like I don't know all of it, but like she's releasing the album on this date, and if you add up the digits of the month and the date, it adds up to thirteen, which is like. There's like just so much. And like, to me, like a little bit, some of it is just like a little too much. Like I don't have time in my day to like think about all these things, but you know what? Some people love it. And it's like, I don't know. It's like, didn't she release like the Taylor Swift, like Wordle? <laughs> and it like broke. Did she? Wow. Did you know I didn't know that. that. No. I was like, I can't remember what she was announcing. Maybe it was announcing the movie or maybe it was announcing like the re-release of 1989. I'm sure some Swifty will write in and correct me. I don't remember what it is, but uh, yeah, like she released it on, like she released her own version of Wordle to like, I guess, talk about what songs were going to come out of the vault or something. I don't know. Yeah. 
Um, but then it like broke Google for a little bit because so many people like were trying to solve it. And like, I know you were into Wordle. I'm still into Wordle. I was into Wordle. Yeah. I didn't hear about the Taylor Swift one. I I think it's interesting that no matter what she does, people seem to, besides what happened with the Kim and Kanye thing, and and I know when we were talking about doing this podcast, we were like, well, there's just so much to say. Like, like we're at first we weren't even going to talk about um, Travis Kelsey, which we will get to in a second, uh, soon. But there's just so much background with her that we were like, okay, let's just focus on kind of the big things, like the the bigger picture things. Um, and one of those things is like, you know, the, her lowest point was probably after the whole Kim and Kanye and receipts. And then she kind of disappeared for like a year and then came out with reputation. And she kind of told her story through songwriting. But it's like we haven't hit that point with her where people are just like sick and tired of what she does because she's like, you know, how, how she, we talked about her being a creative and this like, amazing lyricist and this amazing business person. Well, she's this amazing marketer who also shills so many products. Like when Midnight's came out, three hours later, Midnight's 3 a.m. version came out with additional songs. And so then people who had downloaded that are now downloading this one. And there was also the Midnight's Clock where you could buy multiple versions of her vinyl. It's like the same record, but just with a different cover. And when you put it together, it's a clock. And when um, I did end up getting a code to go to see her in Toronto. So I had registered like three accounts, my mom's, mine, and my husband's. I got a code. I get into the queue. I'm number 12,000 in the queue. And it's like, okay, I'm not going to get tickets. And so when I got through, there was just no tickets left, but I was able to see how much tickets were. And like Mm -hmm. the floor seats were like a grand. And then some seats that maybe would have been like three or 400 bucks were like $700 because you also got like a tote bag with it. The way that she's like packaging stuff, you know? And then you're also like, who the hell can afford to like be spending? Obviously people are because her shows are selling out immediately, like within probably minutes or like 10 minutes or something. So, but no one is really like questioning that. I haven't heard anybody really say, well, she's, you know, she puts out all this product where, you know, fans are spending a ton of money on her and there hasn't really been backlash on that. The closest I've seen to that is with Ticketmaster where it just like crashed the site and people who had codes didn't get tickets and people were like, well, why can't she do most? She's like the most powerful person in music right now. Why can't she mitigate this in a better way so that tickets actually get into the hands of fans? Yeah. I mean, I do, I do kind of worry that she is going to like lose her steam and people are just going to get fatigued, like too much Taylor Swift. I'm yeah. over it. This is just obnoxious. How much it's going to cost. And like, part of me did have that fleeting thought, like, you know, if she's got this huge, broad fan base, $5,000 tickets, $7,000 tickets are not accessible to a lot of people, right? Particularly like in this economy. So it's like kind of interesting when the movie thing came out, I was expecting for her to release a documentary about the making of the Eras tour. Like that was truthfully what I was expecting. And I think, I think we actually exchanged texts and I was like, Hey, should we wait for this documentary to come out before we do this podcast? Cause I like, I feel like, you know, that will provide even like more information, but instead it was a movie version of her concert, which I was like, Oh, that's like really interesting. Like, is she trying to make her concert experience more accessible and attainable to the masses by making it, 
$19.89 to go, which is suddenly much more palatable for the average fan. Um, and I don't truthfully know the answer to that. Like, I think you had a theory that, that was around, like, there are artists that have limited, like, people's ability to resale tickets, which then, like, obviously stems the overinflation on StubHub and whatever the Canadian equivalent is. And she hasn't chosen to do that. And is that a calculated decision? I think was was, was a question you posed. I, I think she will come out with a behind the scenes documentary of this just because this tour is going to go on for so many years. And we're like, maybe at the halfway point, I don't even know if we're halfway yet. But for, for now, I wonder if she came out. So she did that deal with AMC directly. So she's not violating, violating SAG, which is really clever. But I wonder if some of that came because of the whole, there was a bit of ticket master backlash where people were asking, why is she not doing more? And you're right, there are some celebrities. So I'll just read a couple examples that I looked up. So Miley Cyrus and Adele have required concert goers to present your credit card used to purchase the tickets. Pearl Jam tickets are non-transferable except on a fan-to-fan exchange. Um, Ed Sheeran has completely said, like, you cannot resell tickets. You have to show up with the original person who bought the tickets. Like, they have to show their ID. They have to show their credit card. It's really hard to resell tickets for an Ed Sheeran concert. And apparently, if you list them on StubHub or a reseller and they find out those seat tickets are, like, null and void. And so there is obviously stuff that she can do. When she did her reputation stadium tour, she had said uh, basically that any fans that buy specific merchandise or that do some some sort of social media activity about the upcoming tour, they collect some sort of points. It was called Swift Ticks that brings them up in the queue when they do get their code. And so she had like talked to Ticketmaster and they worked that out. So that was kind of an interesting way also of her to make more money because of the, the merchandising side, right? So there are things like right now she's single-handedly the biggest name in music and she, she may not always stay on top, but right now that's where she is. Is there more that she could have done? 100% for mm-hmm. sure, for sure. And I wonder, you know, I'd said to you, I wonder if the reason that she didn't is because it's kind of a good feeling to be like, oh my God, these people want to see me so bad. It creates such a sense of urgency. I did not care about seeing Taylor Swift when she was just doing her US tour. I didn't even register for a code. And then when everyone started freaking out that she's not, she didn't release Canada with her world tour, I was like, oh shit, I missed the boat. And then when she did announce Toronto, like 30 million people tried to get codes, which I've heard that only 3 million people had registered the first day to get the US code. So for me, that's like absolutely wild. There was just such a frenzy to get these tickets. And immediately after I didn't get tickets, after I was in the queue, I went and I looked to see what the worst tickets were going for on StubHub. And it was like the $150 tickets were listed for three grand each, which is so wild. And, you know, she's not perfect. I wonder if part of her is just like, well, fuck yeah, I'm winning. Like, that's amazing. That's great because there is something to it. There's a reason that she didn't step in and change whatever, come up with a plan with Ticketmaster. And I think to appease her fans, this, maybe this AMC deal was struck, right? Which is also very clever because now everyone's like, Taylor Swift saving the, saving cinema, you know, she's saving the theater industry. Just like, and I'll just segue into this, she's now saving the NFL. Like, what's happening? So much to talk about in the NFL. I feel like the NFL is like a part two, Masa. There's so much to Man, talk about. There's <laughs> and, just so much to say. 
And that's what I said. I said, I don't, I think we messaged and I, and you're like, Oh, I don't want to talk about the small stuff. And I said, yeah, I agree. I don't want to talk about her dating life because it seems so reductive, right? Like she's already written all these albums about men that she's dated and her romantic history and blah, 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 blah. And that's always the joke in media. Like, Oh, why do you keep writing songs about your ex-boyfriends? And it's always like this tongue in cheek thing. But this whole thing with Travis Kelsey and like what she's done for the NFL is like fascinating to me. And even the, amount of like, you know, all the memes that were on TikTok about women going, Oh, what's it like that Taylor Swift put this this guy, Travis Kelsey, on the on the map? And all these men are like outraged and they're like, this guy is like the best tight end in the NFL and he's ran like a million yards with a ball. And like as a person that doesn't even really understand the rules of football, I'm like, I don't I don't even know what a tight end does. So like cool. Um, but yeah, like my husband is an NFL person. And like, I remember like when we were talking about, it, he was like super eye rolly about it. And he was like, do you understand how big the market for the NFL is? Like, I recommend that you do some research on the numbers before you have this like podcast conversation. And I was like, I was so like, like annoyed. So I did do the research and I was like, yeah, no, my theory still stands. <laughs> like, it does. Has, like, yes. Didn't his jersey sales go up 400% for Travis Kelsey, 87? Like the first time this man has ever even came into my consciousness was I thought he was so thirsty because he went to her concert in Kansas City, I think, and then Mm -hmm. had like a friendship bracelet with his number on it and he was going to give it to her. And I was like, what a loser. Like, And then he's like talking about it on his podcast. And of course, everyone has a podcast now me included. Um, and so I was like, oh, he's obviously being so thirsty, blah, blah. Knew nothing about him. And then when, and then there was like these like quiet talks of like, they've just quietly started dating. And then that blew up like the next day into, oh no, these two are like dealing with each other in whatever way. And since then, like this all happened like mid-September, I've now watched the Kelsey documentary about his brother, Jason Kelsey, on, mm-hmm. I think it was on Prime. I've watched mm-hmm. Quarterback on Netflix. I like Travis Kelsey a lot. He is number 87. He's a tight end. I don't know what that position is, except for I know he's really integral to playing with Patrick Mahomes. Why do I know who Patrick Mahomes is? Why do I know Patrick Mahomes' wife, Brittany? This wasn't even in my language like yeah. three weeks ago. And it's just the Taylor Swift effect. And obviously then NFL is a business and they're capitalizing on it. So she's going to these games and they're showing her there's doing, they're doing all these cutaways and there have been, there has been some backlash from the bro community. Like I think one of her, like a trailer for her movie came out, the era's movie during one of the games, they booed because of course, like it's football. There's a lot of toxic masculinity that lives there. Yeah. But it's been like really fun for, a lot of people to watch her kind of show up. What are they going to do? Da, da, da. And of course, it's like a huge ego boost for her because it's like not only has she saved the music industry, she's all there. Oh, and now now she's helping. The movie industry. And, yeah, the, the movie industry. And now she's boosting the NFL, which is like a very, you know, you think of the most like man, sp- dude sport. That's it. And she's, yep. Taylor Swift is, you know, giving them a boost. I read the stat that 70% of American males is like, is engaged with the NFL in some way. And then it's like, I can't remember if it was like 20 or 30% of American women. So when they said like, I can't remember what the stat was, but like, oh, when Taylor Swift was rumored to 
to be at the Chiefs game or the whatever, the New York game or whatever. And they said, oh, their like viewership increased by like 20 million or something. It was like oh my something God. wild. I can't even remember what the stat was. And I was like, and how much of that increased viewership are women? Right. Because yeah. like, like you just said, I didn't even know who this guy was. And now I know that him and Patrick Mahomes had this like tight end quarterback bromance. That's like really amazing for their team. And like, I, I now know what a tight end does. Do you remember this? I was like, Oh, I really like this theory about why he's good in a relationship with Taylor Swift because of his position. Like a month ago, I did not know what a tight end does. Now, now I, I kind of vaguely understand you have to like block for the quarterback, but also sometimes you have to catch the ball and like run it into the end zone to score the touchdown. And that's what I said. I said, he's probably like well suited to be in a relationship with Taylor Swift because sometimes he has to protect the quarterback because like in that relationship, you can't tell me that she's not the QB. Like she is the mastermind. She is like the bigger, she's the bigger star. Of and then sometimes he has to like, catch the ball and run it into the end zone and do a dance and like whatever bump chest with the other guys and like be the star. But he's like, that position is uniquely suited to be both the star and sometimes like the support. And he seems more than happy to be Taylor's guy. Like, and I've, you know, both of us downloaded the episode of New Heights with his brother, Jason Kelsey. Like, what? We're listening to football podcasts. It's wild. And, you know, they talk about it on the podcast, which 100% Taylor okayed. Like, he's not talking mm-hmm. about it without her being like, oh, yeah, no, you can say, you know, within these parameters, like, talk about this. And he's essentially saying, you know, kind of making light of it. And um, he's not saying too much, but he's, not saying nothing either. So obviously there's something there. And I have to say that meme of him or the TikTok of him where he's on the on the football field and he looks up at the stands and he sees her and like that smile on his face. I was like, okay, I see the allure of this. Like, you know, and for her, somebody who grew up feeling like insecure or whatever, like she didn't have friends. Now she is dating the like one of the stars of football, as all these dudes have been saying, Trevor Kel- Travis Kelsey has been on the map. So for her, it's like, oh, she's shit. dating the quarterback like, and she's the prom queen. Totally. Like, totally. This, yeah. No, I agree with, I agree with that assessment. Also. I very much, and I was like, just thinking back, like she had like a, whatever, six year relationship with Joe Alwyn, very much yeah. under the radar. Cause apparently he doesn't like to be like has her level of fame makes him feel uncomfortable. And I was like thinking about, there's like, I think it's the song we're like never, ever getting back together. And then she's like talking in it and she's like, Oh, and you know, you're asking me about this indie record that I'd never heard of. That's like so much cooler than mine. And like, this is part of her thing is like, she's fine with being like mainstream and popular. And she kind of dated, like, I think you said, Oh, like she kind of dated the theater geek, right? Like Joe Alwyn, whatever Tom Hiddleston Tom Hiddleston and like you know whatever like she's like she's done that road and now she's kind of stepping like into the into the light if you will she's dating yeah. a guy that is very much mainstream very comfortable with the spectacle and the theatrics of being with someone that is like this level of celebrity and he's like he's like he's okay with it he's um secure enough that he thinks it's great and he's funny and he's like tongue in cheek about it. And I was like, Oh, maybe that's like the right thing for her because that's always going to be her life. Like, and unless she does something 
awful and she kind of falls off everyone's radar. This is always going to be her life. And she kind of needs someone that's like, okay with that. Oh yeah. He's, he's leaning way in and, and there's been no guy thus far, like Calvin Harris, Jake Gyllenhaal, Harry Styles, Joe Jonas, et cetera, Joe Alwyn, who has been so, besides Tom Hiddleston, who like wore like a Taylor, like team Taylor kind of t-shirt. There's been no one that's been so overtly enthusiastic about being with her. And I think just given the kind of person that she is, she probably loves that. And with Joe Alwyn, who knows what happened there? I have no clue. But it like didn't do much for his career either. You know what I mean? Like it seems like Travis Kelsey has blown up for the people who had no idea who he was, like those jokes about Taylor putting him on the map. But Joe Alwyn is like, I still have no idea what movie he's ever been in whatever. Anyway, um, so my, I'm just going to say, I think those two will get married. I don't know, guys. It might be a quickie wedding, but I'm just going to say Taylor needs a bit of mess in her life. And I, that's going to be my prediction is I think she's going to, I don't know. I just think that they're going to get married. So take with that, w- w- with that information, what you will. And I just want to wrap up this, this podcast, just touching on this last piece that I've kind of been holding on to is around the activism and political political side of it because Taylor for a long time had really not much to say. She was asked, oh, like, you know, what do you think of like whatever is going to happen in the election? And she would just say, you know what? I don't get into politics because I think people just want to hear me make music. And so I'm going to stay out of it. And then as we saw in the Miss Americana doc, and I posted about this on my Instagram and you can see it if you go through my Taylor Swift Instagram stories, which are saved in my highlights at Have You Heard Podcast. She said that she really wanted to come out and say something during the election with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. But that was the year that she had gone into hiding with the whole Kimmy thing and -hmm. like the whole snakes and receipts. And she's like, I wasn't going to put my head out of the sand for anything. And now there was, I guess, a senator running in her home state of Nashville, Marsha Blackburn, who was like transphobic, you know, anti-woman, like basically everything, super, super, super hardcore Republican. And Taylor Swift really wanted to come out and say something. Her whole team on the documentary, her dad and her, one of her managers was like, you're going to cut your concert goers in half if you do this. And Taylor was like, I've already made my decision. So I'm going to, you know, say, forgive me in advance. Like I'm doing this, like the decision Mm -hmm. is made. And ever since then, she's had some, like her music videos, um, You Need to Calm Down. She's also written, I can't remember, she wrote sort of like a political anthem. I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, called What's up here? Something about run. It, it, only the young. Ever, only, only the, the young. young. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So she's done that stuff. She's most recently took to her Instagram and encouraged people to get out there and register to vote, which a bunch of people did, which is awesome. And so I kind of on Instagram, I just said, you know, how important is it for your celebrities, for your pop stars, for your movie stars, whatever, to be politically involved and to speak out against causes that like you may believe in or may not, depending on who you are. And the majority of people on my poll had said that it's really important to them. And I got some interesting feedback and I, I wrote a couple down because I just thought it was, there was, there were such good points and I'm going to read this one. Someone said, she's not an elected official. Why do we feel the need for her to speak out? Is it because pop stars are more relevant than elected leaders? 
if so, how did we get here? And I think that's a really interesting question. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we talked about this. I think what I said was like, well, I'm kind of mixed because I want to know that the money that I spend on supporting someone is going towards like values and beliefs that I can get behind. Right. Um, but at the same time, like I want to get my news and opinions from authority figures on it. So I, I don't know. I'm kind of like in that gray stance. Like, yes, I would like for you. I think that was one of the options in your poll too. Like, I would like to know where you stand, but I don't need you to get on a soapbox about it because that's not your role, right? You're, you're like, I don't expect you're not a journalist. You're not a political writer, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I kind of want to know that if I'm going to spend a thousand dollars on your, um, show tickets that you're not going to go around and donate to a political campaign that is like fundamentally against my values. Yeah. Somebody else wrote in and they said, I hate when people say not everything has to be political. Our existence is political. Our breath is political. I don't want to spend even $5 from a brand who doesn't recognize a trans person's identity. And I I tend to agree with this. And I also agree with what you're saying is I don't necessarily need to know every celebrity's like thought on every matter. Like we talked about sort of how, you know, influencers will speak up about whatever, like things that they actually have no idea about. And sometimes they get the context wrong. And, you know, are we looking to celebrities, like how we're looking to influencers, because I don't want to get my news from an influencer. So why am I trying to get informed by a celebrity? But I think the difference is on the really big issues that are especially like human rights issues. Yeah, I think it matters where you stand. And then you have someone like Jason Aldean, who is like very problematic. And he put out that, um, you know, his wife, Brittany Aldine, she had like made these t-shirts that say like, don't tread on our kids regarding like the alleged, you know, liberal agenda to like make every child like transgendered. Cause that's what the really hardcore like Republicans think. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Jason Aldine wrote a song, her husband wrote a song called like, try this in a small town, basically about like, yeah, like come shoot up our small town. Like we'll fuck you up. Like you know what? I, like it's just so. And that song, when when he put that out, he got a lot of backlash, but he also got like a ton of downloads. And someone had wrote in saying to me about that, like I don't necessarily need to know where celebrities stand on everything, but when, but it's kind of good to know that Jason Aldean lives there because I won't be buying his music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that's the camp that I sit in. Like. Again, I don't need you to like inform me. I'm happy to do my own research. And maybe maybe the platform of celebrity has an obligation to be like, hey, this is important. Look into this. Yeah. Pay Get attention. educated on this. Pay attention. Um, but not to be necessarily the deliverer of that information. Yeah, that's not I agree. You know, that's not that's not their lane, I guess is kind of how I feel. Yeah. No, someone said to me, uh, I don't need Drake to talk to me about the opioid crisis or George Floyd. And I think, you know, like, it's like, where is it coming from? I appreciate Taylor's allyship. You know, I appreciate when she does speak out. Like, I think that she's told us through her songwriting um, where she stands on things. But also there's the point that you made to me via like WhatsApp maybe about how like she can do that. Because she's Taylor Swift. She's, as we've said, like a very palatable, goes down easy white woman with a lot of credits in the bank. You know, there's, she'd have to fuck up a lot to really get a lot of backlash. Whereas somebody who's maybe not in that position, 
you know, Taylor Swift has the privilege to do that. Not everybody does. So I think that's another layer to all of this as well that we'd have to consider. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, she is saying, I think a lot of her messaging is around like, if these are things that you care about, I urge you to go register to vote and like make your voice heard because like that's a lot of the complaint is that a lot of that generation is not voting, right? So if these are matters that um, are things that you care about, then go learn about it and go vote Um, with obviously a deep bias towards probably where she stands, like what camp she sits in. Totally, totally. And I just wonder too with Taylor Swift, because right now she's sitting at the very, very tippy top. And I do wonder like, where do you go from here? Because if it's one thing that we know about society, if it's one thing that we've learned is that we love to build people up, especially women, only to take them like down a couple notches, right? So she's like in a really amazing spot right now. And she has been for many years, like kind of since she reconciled everything with reputation. At some point, there's going to be a fuck up. Maybe Travis Kelsey is going to be like her Achilles heel. I don't know. Maybe they'll, you know, maybe it'll be like a Beckham situation where like that, that NFL toxic kind of, I know it's not everyone. I I just, those particular dude bros with their podcasts were saying, someone had said recently like, oh, I'm only interested in Taylor Swift in the NFL if her and Travis Kelsey release like a sex tape or something like that. If he ends up fucking up his plays or the Chiefs lose or whatever, and people are looking to her to like say something, we just, I'm curious to see how that's that whole thing is going to go, not just with Travis Kelsey, but just because no one stays on top forever. So I'm kind of curious to see how that comes out. Feel the same. Like, have you heard that saying, tall poppies? People want to cut down tall yeah. poppies. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's kind of sadly the inevitable sort of like where, where, where this is going to land. And yeah, I was watching some of that misogynistic NFL narrative, like, oh, you know, um, are you going to get it into Taylor's end zone? And I was just, you know, like, eye roll gross, but like also like tracks, like on print with like yeah. all of that culture um so yeah it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if he suddenly isn't playing so great is it is it then gonna turn and be like it's your fault you're distracting oh, this guy she's from at the like- game yeah i mean she's going back on tour i think in like a month or something and then whatever i don't know she's obviously not going to be able to fly out to see him when she's like traveling worldwide but i was watching the beckham documentary yesterday on netflix which is really good and they were saying how um victoria beckham was saying how at one particular game, the crowd was chanting, Posh Spice takes it up the ass. And like that would never happen today, I don't think, and I hope. But variations of that will happen. It's like maybe behind, you know, people feel protected when they're behind a microphone, these dude podcasters, or, you know, they're on the radio or whatever. They're around other people who who think similarly. So anyway, I wish the best for Travis and Taylor. I think they're going to get married because I just feel like the universe, if the universe gave us Benefer 2.0, the universe is going to give us this. I'm just going to put it out into the universe and see what happens. I but feel it's like, like you might not be wrong. That's why I really don't. <laughs> I feel, and, and the, yeah, the Benefer thing was like a big deal. It's, what could happen? I don't know about 2023 or 2024. Let's, let's see how this plays out. But you know what? I will go look at the pictures if they get married because that wedding is going to be like, oh my God. Like it's such a spectacle. So good. Epic. She'll probably like invite like 10 fans to attend just because she just 
is does stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like she's just sure. so like her fandom is part of everything that she does. And if her fandom digs up some shit on Travis Kelsey, like a thing that he said in 2008 on Twitter before it was X, that relationship is dead because that's just kind of, you know, I feel like he a lot, a, as I've said, he had a, a dating show, shows. Masa. He, he did have a dating, a dating show. show. He did have right? a dating show. We haven't show. talked to Jason about that. Kelsey. I yeah. I haven't. Like, I can't. Yeah. I mean, I'm interested in Travis Kelsey as much as while he's with Taylor Swift. Once that relationship ends, it's on to the next for me. Um, but okay, really quickly, I'm going to wrap this up by asking you, I always ask my guests, what is your current obsession? Is there any sort of pop culture obsession you are into right now? It could be a recommendation. Just something like you're vibing Taylor with. Swift and Travis outside Kelsey? of, I think so. I think we've okay. covered, you know, Taylor Swift enough today. I am a late adopter to Only Murders in the Building, so I'm Ooh. like three quarters of the way through season one, which is good. I really like that. I was obsessed with The Bear, so I watched like binge watched both of those, and um, on my list to watch this weekend, and like probably part of next weekend because um i'm like on my own next weekend is um the beckham oh yeah so it's on my list okay because like i lived through the beckham and the spice posh spice like heyday so i'm like very curious so that's like on my like list what you know whatever on netflix like my list to watch yeah yeah it's already there six parts right so good yeah you're gonna love it i'm like kind of halfway through uh so the bear and only murders in the building i think are disney plus yeah and the beckham documentary is netflix my recommendation is gonna be my number one recommendation of the year which is fleischman is in trouble on disney plus with claire danes it is so good i don't know what to say about it i it's really hard to describe it's kind of about motherhood, parenthood, society, class wars, uh, postpartum depression, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The first few episodes, you're going to be like, what is this show? Where is it going? And then it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks and it's going to sit with you. And it's like, I'm jealous of the me before I watched it because it was, you know what I mean? I binge watched it too. It was very good. And I would say it like very much falls into what we've been talking about around like misogynistic narrative like, yeah. you know, you hear a couple of facts and this must be how the narrative plays out. And then it just, I don't want to like, I don't want to spoil it, but it like turns all of that on its head for me. It's singularly excellent, much like Taylor Swift, the subject of the pod today. And who brought me out of my podcasting retirement? Because it's been 15 months since I put out a podcast. July of 2022 is my last one. Mm-hmm. And it's like a testament to Taylor Swift because she saved the NFL. She's saving cinema. She's saving music. She also brought me out of retirement for that. I say she saved this podcast. You had been like on hiatus forever. You were having your own WGA SAG strike. I know. Listen, I've been busy. I've had things going on. And I had, I have to have to say it's really nice because on Instagram, people would message me from time to time being like, where's your podcast? Is it ever coming back? We miss it. But this was a really fun one. So Patty, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. It was such a pleasure having you. Me and you always have these chats every time I see you. So this time it's on tape. So thank you. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Hey, that's the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. For real, you took the time and that means a lot. If you like the show, please share with your friends, subscribe, and give us five stars to show your support wherever you get your podcasts. If you want more interaction, join the Instagram page at Have You Heard Podcast. 
where there's lots of pop culture analysis and behind the scenes highlights of how shows are formed, which you, dear listener, are a part of. Until next time. Thank you.